I'm expecting by the end of the series to see some of you guys dancing to this bumper. I will tell you, Chris has been making it for the last couple days, and every time I walk into his office, he's dancing to the bumper. This is really funny and great. I love it. So welcome to Element this morning. We are kicking off a new series today about wisdom. Wisdom. And I'm pretty excited. We're going to jump right into this conversation today, and I hope that you are already intrigued. I hope you are already intrigued by reading the scripture that's a part of that bumper today because, guys, we need to engage this notion of wisdom, right? There's a a lot of reasons we need to engage this notion of wisdom, so we're going to start it today. But I'm going to give a little disclaimer first for everyone, okay? You might read this bumper and you might think, great, this is a time when the pastors and the teachers of this church are going to come up there and they're going to, like, impart some wisdom Um, and we're going to like learn it and that'll be great. Well, let me tell you something. I'm not quite sure at this phase in my life that I would call myself a particularly wise person yet. I feel like I'm on the path to wisdom, but I'm not necessarily quite like arrived. So this series is not going to be about us as teachers coming and like imparting all of the wisdom for all of you. This series is going to be something a little bit different. This series is going to be about an invitation for all of us wherever we are in our journeys, to ask God for wisdom, okay? It's going to be looking to God and asking him for his wisdom. And so the conversations that we're going to have around it are more about what it looks like to ask God for wisdom than they are just like taking down notes of the wise things that we should implement in our lives. Does that make sense? So the Bible actually says quite a lot about asking God for wisdom. And we're going to look at a bunch of those things today. And we're going to start in James 1. James 1 says, James 1, 5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. And he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. That's what the scripture says. So we need wisdom. We need wisdom in our lives right now for all kinds of reasons, right? Let's think about a few of them for a moment. Our country is in the midst of a lot of upheaval, right? Nobody's denying that. Nobody's sticking their head in the sand about that at this point in time. Everyone knows we're going through a tough season as a country. And as followers of Christ, we need wisdom. We need wisdom about how to speak into this with grace and truth and love right? We need wisdom. It's, it's, not, it's not simple. It requires wisdom, right? We've also been thrown into a pandemic, right? Which is a whole other thing that also really requires wisdom, especially as we're looking at the choices that we're making for the months to come. We're, we're looking for wisdom, right? We're asking for wisdom. We're searching for it because there's a lot of important decisions to make personally, for our church, for all the places in our lives. And then We need wisdom for element, right? We're looking at this five-year vision of all of these things that we are committed to, that we have felt God calling us towards, and we need wisdom about how to implement those things, about what the path is from getting from where we are to where God is calling us to go. We need wisdom for that, right? So we're going to ask God for it together during this series. We're going to ask a few questions. I'm going to put some of them up on the screen. Some of these might be simple, but I think after a few weeks, we're going to see that there's, there's quite a lot to unpack. So we're going to ask, what is wisdom? What is it? What is it? What does the Bible teach about wisdom? Right? Because humans teach a lot about wisdom, too. What does the Bible specifically teach about wisdom? 
how do we get wisdom, right? That's the question that the bumper asks. How do we get it? What does it take to get wisdom? What's the difference between human wisdom and God's wisdom? That's an important question to ask. So we're going to ask those questions, and we're going to ask a lot more as we go in this series. And I hope it sounds intriguing to you and exciting to you. It does to me. I'm ready. I've always wanted to be wise. I always wanted, I think that's one of the things at the end of my life I would like for people to say about me, she was wise, right? And I will tell you, I grew up valuing wisdom a whole lot. And I think it is because my father is a very wise man. He's a very wise man. I think he's probably the wisest man, person that I know, right? My dad. And I think if people could pick three words to describe him, most people would pick wise as one of those words. And do you know why I think he is so wise? I mean, there's a lot of reasons. But I think if you boil all those reasons down as to why this particular person has such wisdom, I believe it's because he values wisdom. He values it. He sees and knows the importance of it, and he spent a lifetime searching for wisdom, asking for wisdom, practicing wisdom. And I believe he's wise because he chose at a young age to value wisdom. I do. And do you know what? That is exactly what Proverbs says about it. Let's check out this verse that we put in the bumper one more time. It says, get wisdom. Develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom for she will protect you. Love her and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Now, I think that's pretty clear right there. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. Well, that could be a little tricky, but it's also pretty plain, right? It's also pretty plain. And I think the reason my dad is the wisest guy I know is because he spent a lifetime pursuing that wisdom. And I think the same can be true about us. I think the same can be true about us. So my hope today, more than anything else, is to encourage all of us to place a little more value on this idea of wisdom, on this concept of wisdom. Because I believe if we place value on it, we will search for it. We will ask for it. We will receive it. I do. Okay. Now, I will tell you that I also grew up listening to my dad read a lot of the scriptures. And at Circle A, in the summertime, we'd have camp with the kids coming in every summer. And at the beginning of the day, every single day, no matter what was going on, even if breakfast was late or not, dad would take time and read a chapter of Proverbs and a chapter of Psalms every single day to these kids. And I heard him read them year after year after year after my whole life. I have heard these Proverbs and Psalms read aloud every summer. And I will say that they're seared into my memory. Like the words, specifically of Proverbs, the teaching about integrity and modesty and humility and all of the things that Proverbs teaches, to hear it read again and again and again, it's affected who I am, right? It's formed who I am, and I believe definitely formed who my dad is too. So that study of wisdom That engagement of wisdom, it's part of the path. It's not the whole path, but we're going to unpack it today. Now, here's a question. And kids, if you don't have a handout, definitely get one because there's a lot of questions on your handouts today. I want to know if anyone, first our kids, if our kids don't know, our adults can answer. Does anyone know who the Bible says in the Old Testament is the wisest man who ever lived? 
Does anyone know his name? King Solomon. That is correct. Absolutely. King Solomon. Now, does anyone know, does anyone remember why King Solomon was so wise? Does anyone remember how King Solomon got his wisdom? Hmm. Something to learn today. You have, an, you have a guess from God? That was a good answer. <laughs> the, that is the answer. But the reason why King Solomon was so wise is because he asked God for wisdom. He asked for it. Let's read the story because this story is pretty interesting. All right, it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. Starting at verse 7, it says, That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask me for whatever you want me to give you. Now, first of all, that's a pretty cool thing for God to say to somebody. I mean, I can think of a lot of things I might say if God said to me in a moment, like in a, like a conversation, ask me for whatever you want me to give you. That's a pretty cool thing for God to say. And Solomon answered God, You have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are nu- as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. So Solomon has become king and God is asking Solomon, ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you. And Solomon says, this job is pretty important. It's a pretty big deal and I'm not sure I know how to do it. So of all the things I could ask the God of the universe for, I'm going to ask for wisdom to steward his people. Well, well, God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor for such as no king who was ever before you ever had and none after you will have. So God greatly rewards Solomon's request for wisdom, right? He says, not only am I going to grant that request, not only am I going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you everything else you could have asked for, right? So let's think about this. Are we seeing a trend here in just the few minutes we've been talking about wisdom? James tells us to ask God for wisdom. Proverbs tells us that getting wisdom is the wisest thing we can do. Solomon asked for wisdom. And my dad, I'm pretty sure he got his wisdom because he spent a lifetime searching for it, right? So it seems to me that if we want wisdom, we need to ask God for it and we need to pursue it, right? That's what the scriptures tell us. So let's look at our memory verse, kids. For this particular series, it is Proverbs 2, 6 in the New Living Translation. And it says, actually, let's read it all together. It says, for the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The Lord grants wisdom. The scripture tells us this again and again and again. Now, I hope that as we engage Proverbs and the other wisdom literature of the Bible And the way of Jesus, I hope that we will all become a little wiser. I hope that we will all choose to value wisdom. So let's begin. So in our introduction to this series, we're going to actually learn 
about the wisdom literature of the Bible, okay? Now, there are five books that make up the wisdom literature. I don't know how many of you guys might know what those five books are, but can any t- anyone, adults or kids, tell me what are some of the wisdom literature books that are in our Bibles? Who knows? Did he put it up there? Oh, <laughs> great. That's right. Proverbs. <laughs> Proverbs, right? Ecclesiastes. Not even going to try to spell it. And Job. All right. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Now, there are two more that are not on your sheet. Grown-ups, any of you guys know what those are? You know what they are? Uh Uh-huh. You are killing it today. Yes. Psalms and Song of Solomon are both also considered wisdom literature in the Bible. That's correct. Now, we're going to look at these three books today, and you'll see why in just a minute. But these books, these wisdom literature books are very interesting because a lot of the scriptures are either stories of the history of the Israelite people, a lot of the Old Testament, they're stories of the history, or they're prophets who are basically speaking in the voice of God to the people, okay? But the wisdom literature books, they're not necessarily histories. And they're not necessarily, actually they're not written as they're supposed to be the voice of God. The wisdom literature are actually written with the voice of the author who is writing it. So when something is taught in the wisdom literature, it's not necessarily supposed to be the voice of God saying these words. It's actually human wisdom. Now, of course, it's inspired by God. But we're going to understand exactly what that means, okay? So wisdom literature... These books are a collection of some of the, all of the ancient wisdom literature of the Israelite people, okay? And it's certainly a place for us to begin our foundation of the understanding of wisdom. So these books ask, basically, if we had to boil down what, what these books are talking about, they ask, what kind of a world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? What kind of a world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? Basically, how to be good at life. How to be good at life. That's kind of what these books start to talk about. So before we get into what these books teach us, we're going to define wisdom a little bit, okay? Kids, what would you guys say is wisdom? What does wisdom mean to you? Does anybody have an answer? Yes. Yep, that's the, that's the biblical word for wisdom, but I'm asking for your, your idea of wisdom first. Be smart with God. I like that. That's a good answer. Yes? Knowledge that comes from the Lord. That's good. Does anybody else want to add anything to that? Yes. Knowledge that's useful. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else want to add to that? All right. That's really good. That's really good. Being smart with God and knowledge that comes from God and knowledge that is useful. Those are great definitions of wisdom. Well, the biblical word for wisdom is chokmah. Chokmah. And this word has a lot of implications and meanings throughout the scripture. Okay. So we're going to look at some of these meanings today. These are just a few of the things that this word means. It means skill. And a lot of times in the Bible, it's talking about skill in your work or in war. It means cleverness or shrewdness. 
cleverness or shrewdness. It means discretion and prudence. Discretion and prudence. It means insight and understanding. And this last one is pretty important. It means a divine attribute or energy of God. A divine attribute or energy of God. Now let's think about all that for a minute. We've, we've thought about all those other words, understanding, insight, knowledge, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that sounds like wisdom. But what is this last piece in Chokmah, this energy of God? Okay. What it means is that Chokmah is not just something that God does. God doesn't just practice wisdom. What it means is that God is wisdom. Just like God is love, the understanding that the ancient Hebrew people had of Chokmah was that God is wisdom. His insight, understanding, is the very essence of wisdom, and it is actually an energy, a force, that is part of who God is, just like love. So can we begin to see, as we think about wisdom in that way, why having wisdom ourselves would be such a gift? It would be such a gift, right? To have part of the divine nature and energy of God himself as a gift to us to help us be good at life. That sounds like a pretty holy gift, a pretty amazing gift to have, right? It would help us, a living energy within us that would help us have knowledge and insight about how to live well. So we're going to look at these three books of the Bible today in light of wisdom being this gift, this holy energy that is part of the Spirit of God himself that helps us be good at life. Now, we're going to imagine these three books as sort of characters, okay? Because the authors who wrote these books, they're kind of speaking as themselves. They're speaking as a character, all right? So, kids, you're going to have to help me name some characters in just a little bit. Now, I have to give credit to the Bible Project. If you guys haven't checked out the Bible Project online, you really need to check it out. There's so much amazing material, and some of, this, um, some of these characters are softly based on some of the characters that they talk about in the Bible Project. So let's read a passage from Proverbs to introduce us to our first character. Okay? We're going to read from Proverbs 2. It says... My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, and you will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you and understanding will keep safe. Now there's something just beautiful and comforting about those words, right? But let's think about the voice who is saying them. The voice of Proverbs, really either Solomon wrote it or someone who was sharing Solomon's wisdom wrote it. The voice of Proverbs 
is kind of like a brilliant young father. It's the voice of a father, right? It's the voice of a father telling his children all of the wisdom that he has gained. Really, it's the voice of Solomon telling the people the wisdom that he gained from God. Now, there is a Disney character that I kind of liken to the voice in Proverbs. Who knows that guy's name? Mufasa. That's right. That's Mufasa. The voice of Proverbs is kind of like Mufasa, right? He's the wise young father who, like, understands everything and can impart such wisdom and knowledge to his son, okay? And the father in Proverbs, he kind of sees things in the universe that not everybody can see, okay? And he believes that when someone is making a good, wise choice that's going to help them in life, they're tapping into chokmah. They're tapping into the energy of God that is wisdom, okay? Now, the writer believes that anyone can access and interact this chokmah, this energy of God, and it will help them live a good life. You heard all those promises that we just read. Wisdom will keep you safe. Wisdom will guard you. Wisdom will protect you, right? That's the voice of Proverbs. And there's something very important in Proverbs that you're going to hear again and again and again, and that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Now, that's kind of a strange saying for us. We're going to unpack it, not today, but in another message. But the fear of the Lord is what Proverbs talks about as the beginning of wisdom, as the, as the entryway to wisdom. And Proverbs personifies wisdom, okay? I don't know if you heard it addressing wisdom as a her, as a female, but Proverbs personifies chokmah as lady wisdom. Lady wisdom, okay? And basically, lady wisdom is a friend who you get to know, who you embrace, and she goes with you on your journey of life and keeps you safe because you know how to live well, and so you're safe. We're going to read a little bit of this personification of wisdom from Proverbs 1. It says, Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along Main Street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. So in the book of Proverbs, Lady Wisdom is calling out. She's calling to anyone who would listen, to anyone who would want to live a better life and say, listen to me and I will help you. I will guard you. I will keep you safe and I will give you a blessed life. So Proverbs, the brilliant young father who wants to impart all the wisdom that he's been given to his children. And you know what would be so great? If we could just read the book of Proverbs learn all the wisdom that's there, and then have a great life. That'd be so great, right? And a lot of times, it does help. Like, there's a lot of really important things in Proverbs that we totally need to learn about honesty and hard work and what we do with our words. Like, there's so much good stuff in there, but do you know what? It doesn't always lead to a good life, does it? So, we got to look at the next character in the story. Now let's listen to an excerpt from this guy in Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. He says, So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. 
All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the person who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, and yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil, which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. Well, this guy is not quite so hopeful about wisdom, right? This guy is having a pretty rough life, I think. We're going to call the voice of Ecclesiastes the sharp, middle-aged critic. The voice of the critic. Now, there's a guy, a Disney character I like to equate this guy to. Let's put him up there and see if anybody knows his name. Does anybody know who this guy's name is? I had to look it up. You know it? Ego, that's right. Anton Ego, the food critic. That is correct. This guy is jaded and cynical and nearing despair, right? Now, he has a turnaround in the movie, which is great. Hopefully, the Ecclesiastes guy did too. Uh, but he's a critic. He's very jaded. The voice of Ecclesiastes is very jaded and very sad and very hopeless. It's very hopeless, right? But the, the general gist of what he's trying to say to the people and to himself and to God or whoever wants to listen is that life is not fair. Life is not fair. That's what the voice of wisdom in Ecclesiastes says. Sometimes terrible things happen to wise people. They just do. And sometimes unwise people get rewarded, right? Now, we might not be so much in despair about it as this guy is, but we know that's true, right? And so it kind of makes the promises of Proverbs feel a little bit less powerful when we kind of get stuck in this critic mode, right? Because we know that while wisdom is good and will help us, it might not save us from everything because life is not fair. Okay. Now, there's a word that is used again and again and again and again in Ecclesiastes. And in English, a lot of the translations say meaningless, meaningless. Life is meaningless, work is meaningless, everything is meaningless, okay? The actual word in the original text is hevel, hevel. Now, this word doesn't necessarily mean meaningless. What it means is a fog, it means a fog, a vapor. It's confusing. I can't see and understand it. It doesn't necessarily mean like pointless, but it means a fog, okay? And so what he's saying is that he goes on and on and on about how everything is just in a fog. I don't understand it, and it's confusing, and I'm upset about it. That's the voice of the critic. And the critic basically discounts everything the Proverbs teaches because he says it's all meaningless anyways, and he says we should just, you know, die and our happiness is only ever fleeting. But the voice of Ecclesiastes is actually overturned at the very end by the actual author because the author is not the critic. The author is kind of speaking as the critic, but then the author takes another turn at the very end of the book, okay? And basically, the author says, because everything is hevel, 
You should stop trying to control things. And you should hold everything with an open hand. And you should enjoy what's good about life, right? Because if all is hevel, the only proper response can be the fear of the Lord. The only proper response can be to fear the Lord and keep his commandments. And stop trying to make sense of everything else. So there's a little upturn at the end of Ecclesiastes, but it's still not quite as hopeful as Proverbs, right? But does not necessarily leave us feeling very comforted or sure that we, like, want to do the bother of embracing wisdom anymore. So then we have to round out our look at the wisdom literature with the book of Job. Job. Now, Job is another voice. I like to think of him as a weathered old man. A weathered old man. I think we got a picture for this guy, too. See if anybody knows his name. I know. We love this guy. The up guy. Do you know his name? Anybody? Anybody? Walter is so close. Carl Fredrickson is his name. I had to look that up, too. (laughs) You know, I thought maybe some of our kids would have known it. (laughs) The up guy. We'll just call him that, right? But I like to think of this guy as the voice of Job. And the question that the book of Job asks is, is God actually good? Is God actually wise and good? That's the question that the book of Job asks. Now, probably you all know the story of Job, so I won't take a long time to unpack it. But just as a reminder, the book of Job starts off with God and the devil making a bet about this guy, Job who is basically the most upright, righteous person that there is on the whole earth. And the devil basically thinks that he can make Job curse God and sin. And so God allows all of these terrible, terrible, terrible things to happen to Job. His whole family dies. He loses everything he has. He's very, very sick. His friends turn on him. It's just everything, everything possible that could go wrong goes wrong in his life. And his friends blame him because they think this must have happened to him because he did not do, he was not living upright. He was not living wisely. They're basically the voice of Proverbs that said like, hey man, if this stuff is happening to you, you must not be living wise because wise people are safe. That's what they thought, right? And so Job laments over and over and over in the book. But at the end, there's something really interesting happens. Because Job is lamenting and lamenting as, as it goes on. And it's, there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of suffering in Job. But at the end, God comes to him. And what God's answer is to all of these questions and all of this wondering, like, God, are you actually good? Because I'm living a perfectly wise life and bad things are happening to me. So what is the deal with you? And God's answer to that question is to basically show Job what it says in the Bible is basically he shows him the vastness of the universe and he talks about the expanse of this creation that is so far beyond Job's understanding and whatever it is that he shows Job and tells Job convinces Job that I can trust God anyway I can trust God anyway. Now, I'm, a, I'm about to take some artistic license with this, and I admit that, so if this is not exactly what God showed Job, 
I'm sure he will forgive me. But here's what I like to imagine that God showed Job that day. Not only the vastness of this creation, of the universe that God created, but also the fullness of it. And what I mean by the fullness of it is the palingenesia, the restoration of all things. I believe that in order to fully even glimpse God's wisdom, we have to remember that God sees the whole story all the way to the end, all the way to all things made new, right? And if Job or any of us were to fully grasp that reality, as we've just talked about the last few weeks here, about how all things will be made new one day, right? There is trust that erupts from that place. There is an understanding that I, as a human, can never understand all that happens on this earth, but what I can do is trust in the creator because he's worthy of it, because he loves me, right? Trust. And here's how the book of Job ends. In chapter 41, it says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, Who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, Listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before. But now I have seen you with my eyes. I believe that God showed Job a vision of all things made new. And when he saw that with his eyes, whether this is an actual story or it's just an allegory, it doesn't matter. The point is all things will be made new. And if we understand that, we understand trust. And if we understand that, we understand that, yep, it is all a fog right now. And if we understand that, we understand that, Yes, wisdom will guard us and protect us in this life, but not from everything. We can trust anyway. So if we were to boil down the compilation of these three characters into like a synthesis, it might sound something like this. Wisdom, chokmah, is an attribute of God that can be given to us. It's an energy of God that can dwell in us, okay? And it's what helps us make good decisions and live a good life. And if we fear the Lord and keep his commandments, we will develop wisdom. However, we may not understand everything that happens in our lives, right? It's heaven. It's fog. It's a vapor. But what we can understand is that the promise of God is all things made new. The promise of God is his love for us, and he's worthy of our trust regardless. Now, that's a really interesting look at the Old Testament view of wisdom, right? And it's a great place to go when we're ready to get started on the path to becoming wise. And we're going to go there again and again in this series, okay? Because Proverbs is full of profound wisdom, and Ecclesiastes reminds us that bad things are still going to happen because life's not fair, and Job reminds us we can trust anyways. But the Old Testament isn't the only place that we find our wisdom, right? We have to add a fourth character to the mix. Does anyone have a guess who the fourth character is? Jesus, that's right. 
I'm out of space. The fourth character is Jesus. You remember chokmah, what it is, really. It's an attribute of God. It's a part of God. It's a divine gift, a holy gift, right? Does that sound familiar to something else, another gift that you may have heard? A gift of God that is part of himself? Yeah, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Look at this verse from 1 Corinthians. I hope it gives you chills like it gave me. It says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Did you hear that, church? Christ is wisdom itself. And he made us pure and holy and free from sin. So this fear of the Lord thing, this striving to do everything perfectly and keep all the commandments so that we live a happy, good life, yes, all good, but also Jesus already does this in us. Christ alive in us already sets us right with God. And Christ alive in us is the energy that can help us make the good choices and live the good life, right? So the band can come up because we're about to wrap up for today. And I hope that this has given us a place to begin. As we've, as we've only begun, right, in this investigation of wisdom. But I think and I hope and I pray that this chokmah, this spirit of God, this Christ Jesus, who can live inside of us and help us make good, wise choices and live a good life, I hope that we will value this attribute of God, this attribute of who Jesus is. And Jesus lived the kind of a life that is honored in Proverbs, and we're going to look at that. We're going to look at it again and again. And there's much to learn from the writings of the ancients, and we're going to look at that again and again. But at the end of the day, this holy gift of wisdom is Jesus. It's Jesus. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this chance to ask these questions, to wrestle with these questions, to struggle with these questions. God, we know that wisdom isn't as cut and dried as we wish it were. And we know that there's a lot in this life that feels a little meaningless sometimes. But God, I pray that as we pursue this, as we ask you for this, as we practice this wisdom, that it will come alive in us, that it will be another facet of the transformation of Christ in us. So I pray that as we look at these things that you will take the pressure off of this place in Proverbs where we have to get it all right and that you will relieve the despair that we might feel in the times when even when we think we're getting it all right, things still are hard and that you will bring us to the place of trust. You will bring us to the place where we do believe that you are good and that you love us and that in the end, all things will be made new. And from that place, God, make us wise. Help us act with wisdom in this world. Just 
as Christ Jesus in us is calling us to do. It's in your name we ask for these things. In the name of Jesus.